Hey guys, what's up? It is week 189, and before we start, I wish you guys all a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, all that jazz. Uh, I wanted to point out a correction. On anything for Jackson, I mentioned that the kind of religious demon book or whatever they're using could be like an old book like the Necronomicon. Um, I always make a, a, a worth mentioning that the Necronomicon is like old Lovecraftian gods, not, you know, Satan and everything, and that one's more of a satanic kind of old evil book. So, yeah, sorry, I'm just going to make the difference there because I don't want to mix up the old gods stuff but anyways uh let's hop into the reviews and the first one is going to be a patreon pick um by jeremy from 22 shots of moods and horror and that is manchester by the sea um i had not seen this one i, I think it was an amazon original it had obviously it was pretty popular i think it won some awards and everything and it stars casey affleck um and this is a two hour and 16 minute movie i didn't really know what to expect i went in blind i know a lot of people these kind of big movies i don't pay much attention to unless they're more genre movies the newer ones so anyways i i started this one and we're kind of following uh, Casey Affleck, who's a handyman in, I think, like a Boston area. He's kind of quiet, um, obviously has a lot of, um, he, he seems like he's an angry person, but he doesn't, he's not a very jovial or talkative person. He's just kind of fixing everything um, in the shop, and it, it seems tedious. Um, and at one point, this lady kind of goes off on him and gets really rude, and he just basically tells her, I don't give a fuck what you do. Okay, and uh, he starts to get badgered a little bit by his boss. He ends up, and right there, kind of sets up who he is. And uh, so you're, so you're wondering why he's like this. Um, he, he just will start bar fights and everything like that. It's just violent. Um, but also, for the most part, keeps to himself. Doesn't really want to be bothered. And uh, we start to jump flashbacks. Um, back and forth about his life and we're following these two like storylines and you're basically learning why he's like that or, or why he's such a almost a shell of a human being um and we get a call that his his brother had died and uh, he has to go back to his hometown and kind of set things right and get the funeral arrangements his brother's only young he's in his 40s um and take care of everything and take care of his nephew and all that kind of stuff and and then we as it progresses we see more and more what happened in his life um this is super depressing stuff um and, and i don't want to spoil too much because and it's going to make the review kind of brief because of that but casey affleck's performance i thought it was a really i don't know much about the guy you know i think i've seen him in a couple things here and there but this is a great performance um and you see the differences between his past and, and how he is now and you understand why he's like that but you can see um um, that same person still within him in both of them. Uh, just just a top-notch performance, to be honest. Um, and, and there's a lot of actual funny dialogue in here that I, I imagine this is kind of a quotable thing that a lot of people say. Fuck Star Trek. Um, with their accents and everything. Like, I like Star Trek. Fuck Star Trek. Um, that, that whole speech right there is pretty fun. But uh, no, it's just uh, a really kind of depressing set, um, you know, big kind of thing that you find out and it's almost just like how much uh more could someone go on you know after all this and you you it's a movie where you you hate the guy or you don't hate him but you're just like come on man get with it stop being such a you know miserable person and then you see exactly what happened and uh boom you're like oh i get it kind of i, I can understand some of that horrible stuff that happened but there's a point where he kind of interacts with somebody from his past and that whole scene is just heartbreaking that's the scene that got got me the most um because you know what as casey affleck's character in this movie is lee chandler he reminds me of somebody i know um i, I think that a lot of people know somebody like that it reminds me of actually a couple people i know kind of a mixture of them and um 
it's really it's really weird um that you kind of you know you can't really break and break through to them or anything like that but uh no it's just somebody i heard explain this as like of uh, the term i used for the pain of misery misery porn like it's just like keeps getting worse and worse and worse but i love the setting of the town too they really do paint this small town they paint all the characters really well and and all that kind of stuff like um it's really detailed in that and um, very funny too, and in a lot of the dialogue, but also super depressing. I would really recommend checking this one out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Uh, I, like I said, I didn't want to really spoil anything here, but um, great performance here. Um, one of those ones that you you stop and think about, and um, you know, I think I heard negative things about this. I don't know his personal life, you know, I don't keep up on all that stuff, but I know that he had some problems, uh, if I'm not mistaken, where everybody like canceled him or something like that. But besides anything like that, I don't know much about. It. He is a tremendous actor, and it's just a tremendous performance. So yeah, uh, good stuff. Um, yeah, Manchester by the Sea. Okay, this next one here is from Mondo Macabro. This is a pretty interesting movie. This is another uh, French one, and this is Sins of the Flesh from 1974. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the cover right there just like speaks to me, right? Like the perversity and the voyeurism with the camera and everything like that. So I not heard about this one, but I know the director has made a couple kind of uh, genre films uh, that I that I've uh, uh, seeked out before and everything. I've been interested in. So uh, sins of the flesh. Uh, okay, this one opens up pretty interestingly. Uh, we have this uh, these girls kind of making a bets um, how many men they can sleep with, and they see this young guy walk by. He's driving a nice car. He's fairly attractive, and this woman kind of picks him up and asks for a ride and she's like let's go out in the woods and you'll basically fool around she strips down nude and he's watching and he seems very intrigued and very interesting but when when it comes to actually do the act it seems that he really can't um that he his sexual fantasies are more voyeuristic and maybe he is impotent when it comes to anything else um so he gets upset when she starts to laugh at him he she leaves he leaves her in the woods and that, that's kind of strange. And we find out who this guy is. Like, uh, it, it's just one of these kind of character types, like these rich, spoiled brats that have absolutely everything handed to them. And they released this one with uh, seven uh, women for Satan. And I think it's a great uh, counter, a uh, great piece to go with that because we both have these rich, horrible types that are spoiled, but also just miserable sexual sadists or sexual have a bunch of sexual depravity. So this guy, he ends up. Uh, he ends up having these two kind of encounters in his life. Somebody tries to steal his car. It's a young man. And uh, he basically starts to talk to him and, and kind of manipulate him a little bit. And on the way somewhere, they spot this uh, young woman uh, being attempted to be raped by her stepfather. The um, would-be car thief ends up helping her. And they kind of start this weird relationship where he's acting as the, the um, almost the butler to uh, the young man to try to lure her in. So they uh, he ends up watching that as sex and, and the more voyeur thing. And they start to have this weird relationship where he starts to use them to help him get back at his father and try to get money and everything like that and it's like everybody in this movie every rich person in this film is a creep from the the stepmother being a sexual predator and preying on young poor men or ex-criminals and to him who has a sexual voyeurism and also this mean streak that seems that he can't you know get over and then the father who just constantly sleeps with tons and tons of different women and just is uh you know a piece of shit as well so it's just like we have all these like rich people that are awful kind of pulling the strings on these poor people or these uh everyday people kind of reminds me of something like umberto lenzi's oasis of fear like uh, which mondo also put out so that's definitely a, a theme in a lot of these movies where you have these rich people that kind of manipulate a lot of poor people and everything like that where you think like these young possible thugs are the real kind of villains but in fact it, it might even be the uh, aristocratic people that are actually the horrible people 
and stuff like that. Again, another one that comes to mind is The Killer Must Kill Again, which was put out by Mountain Macabre on DVD, where we have, it's the Luigi Kazi film, where we have like the rich guy who plans the murder and everything like that, but then the young people steal the car. and the, it's, it's kind of these interesting things, these different dichotomy between working class and uh, the rich um, on the rich being the actual ultimate evil in a lot of these movies. It seems to be a lot of themes in horror movies bringing it up. But uh, yeah, this this one gets pretty interesting. And uh, of course, uh, they're kind of blackmailed and forced to do all these weird things. And at one point, something goes too far. And uh, the lead villain here, he kind of um, can't control himself after that. Um, and I don't want to spoil uh, the ending or anything like that, but I thought it ended in a pretty cool way. I like the where it is and every, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's just a, a weird kind of crazy performance. I would recommend watching this one in French. Um, that I always tell people to watch the Italian movies dubbed in their language that they're they're from. Um, I like in English because a lot of the actors who are English on the set are speaking English. So when they're dubbed over, sometimes their real voice, it just matches. It makes more sense for me to watch. But when it comes to French cinema, I would recommend watching them in French usually for the most part because the English dubs are nowhere near as elaborate or as good as the American dubs when it comes to kind of exploitation or B-movies for me. Um, so yeah, I, I watched this. I tried to watch this one in English at first and I was like, this is not working for me. It just seems very comical and silly. So I went back and I, I wanted to watch it in French and I started watching it in French and I was like, this this sits a lot better and it just works a lot better for me. So yeah, I thought this one was pretty good and pretty interesting and it has a lot of these things that I enjoyed. The, the picture quality was really great. Um, also good music too. Most of these Italian or European, not Italian, duh, 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 Euro horror movies from this time always have good soundtracks. Um, there's a lot of features on here, interviews with a lot of the people involved in the movie, including the uh, actress in here. So yeah, I, I would recommend checking out The Sins of uh, the Flesh. Good title, um, lots of cool things going on. Good opening too, kind of sets up the character very well. So yeah, check it out. Okay, this next one here I'm going to be fairly brief with, and this is uh, Epic Pictures Dread Central release, and this is Sleepless Beauty, and uh, this is uh, a Russian film from 2020, and I saw some people complaining, like, this is basic this torture porn kind of stuff, and it is that too, it is that, to be honest, there's this young woman who's kidnapped, and there's people placing bets on her and everything like that, and she's being tortured into this way. But it does obviously have a take on Martyrs um, and a take on MK Ultra and stuff like that. Um, but also it has a little bit of po politics involved with it at the same time and a couple twists. So we have this young woman who's kidnapped. She's being tortured. We cut back to her parents who are kind of searching for her. And then we also cut back to this, this political guy who had an assassination attempt at his life. And in the chat room, they're hinting at certain things that are happening, political turmoil and all that kind of stuff within the country. Um, but uh, really mostly it's focused on the torturing and stuff. And that's fairly common, you know, tasering. The one problem I really have with this movie is when you're torturing someone and you put them in this isolated area, there's going to be a point where they kind of just break and they either don't care what happens to them. And I think it would happen fairly quick at this point. Um, I know I would snap quicker than a lot of people would, would because I would just say, A, I'm shutting down completely or I'm just going to try to attack you and I'm going to be beaten every day until you have to kill me because I'm not playing these games because I know how these games work. It, it ends with me being killed or used in a horrible way that is worse than death. So just kill me and get it over with. Um, I'm not going to play these games. And, and watching these movies so many times, I see so many people play these games and I just don't think the will to live is that strong sometimes when you know that there's possibly not that much of an outcome 
for you to survive in. You know, it's not like you're crawling through the woods or something or the, or the snow. And, you know, if you just make it over this next hill, you're probably going to be okay. Or you could be okay. It's not that it's, it's, it's like you're trapped in an elaborate situation where there's tons of people watching you. And it's just like, I'm probably not going to make it out of here. So why am I going to play this game that they always want me to constantly play? So that little part is just kind of eye rolling. And I feel like people are obviously tired of that to a certain extent, but saying that it is what it is. And it's part of the genre. So therefore you have to accept that or you have to forget it or, or leave it. You know what I mean? But what I will say about this movie that I really loved was that they have some hallucination scenes where they're kind of forcing her Clockwork Orange style to watch certain things and, and almost a deprivation kind of idea where they they put these things on or these goggles. and she, I don't know if it's a hallucination or a broadcast or a mixture of both. But anyways, what happens is she has this crazy animated dream sequence or visual sequence that's for like five, ten minutes, and it's just awesome. And it's just mind-bending. It's one of those scenes where like it's from a Pink Floyd music video or like the movie The Wall or something where you just get sucked in and you're just watching and it's just just like, oh, this animation's making me sick to my stomach. If I was tripping right now, I would be puking all over the floor. And that scene is actually really strong, and I really enjoyed that. Um, besides that, there is kind of a twist here. It's not just your simple, you know, torture film. It's not we're going to torture her for, you know, uh, people's entertainment, etc. It does do something a little different. But uh, yeah, there's a deleted scene on the disc, and uh, you can watch in English or Russian if you're interested. But that is Sleepless Beauty. Um, so yeah, um, that's the rule. You know, she can't sleep. That kind of drives her mad at the same time but the animation sequence is really great um besides that um it's a little average um not really my thing but i would recommend checking it out just because i thought that animation sequence was so cool and you don't get to see that many russian flicks to be honest so yeah um check it out sleepless beauty if it sounds like you'll like it hey dad i'm at the place right now which one should i get Okay, this next one is a Netflix original, or it's on Netflix. It's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. This is by Charlie Kaufman. And uh, it's not necessarily a horror movie, but man, it's so dark and bleak and weird and strange that I don't think it fits in any other genre. Oh, how do I talk about this movie? I don't even... This this movie could literally take like... Um, 
essays and papers and write and all that kind of stuff. But it's a movie that jumps through time kind of in a way, but it's almost just a feeling that you might get if you glimpse at someone and see the possible outcomes or maybe you relive life or relive moments through a second or through everything when you look into somebody. I don't know how to explain that, but if you're just getting on that level of thinking, that's possibly where we're at. But basically it opens up with this girl, this woman narrating. She's talking about the relationship she has with her boyfriend and it's great and everything like that and it's winter and they love each other and they're on their way to meet his parents for the first time they've been dating for seven weeks etc etc and then all of a sudden she says i'm thinking of anything things and almost as if the character the boyfriend hears it he says what she says oh nothing i didn't say anything and you're just like it's going to be that kind of movie but the the discussions they have are elaborate and strange and long and deep and they talk about literature and entertainment and all sorts of things and they uh get really you know deep on a lot of things there's moments where they have conversations about john cassavetti's persona and i love that the the male the husband loves the movie i i do too you know i, I don't I, I never thought of it on her level but she mentions all these things that um goes super elaborate and in depth about it and mentions all these uh, things that are way past surface level and he almost seems to see it on a surface level point um but just slightly underneath it but can never really grasp 100 percent what a lot of these things mean and this character in himself is almost like one of these characters where he is not great and and, and it keeps being brought up to him that he's not naturally gifted everything he's earned he's done through hard work but at the same time not being naturally gifted or naturally you know intelligent or anything like that makes him set to a point where he has to try harder to understand things and he'll never really truly could grasp a lot of things that gifted people could and it's just kind of sad that he's not intelligent enough to do the great things but he's under intelligent enough to notice that they're great things but not even fully grasp what makes them great it, it's just a weird thing to see and it's just kind of also a vastly depressing thing about that character and about how he is shot down constantly and he has this fragile masculinity about him that's constantly exposed but at the same time he is like intelligent and smart and you just feel bad for him at the same time but also despise him and it's a saying about a relationship possibly that you're madly in love with someone and adore them but at the same time you can't stand them and it's just so weird crazy things and anyways they end up going to his father and mother's house that's isolated and it's just really strange stories and sad stories and just twisted things and um, Tony Collette is the mother and uh, David Thewlis is the father and they're jumping through time and age where they get older and younger and you see all these things and just two magnificent performances in fact all four performances are top notch and amazing and uh, all such great things and they have these breaks and these moments where they laugh together and then seemingly be so depressed and angry and all this kind of stuff just mixture and different things and just mind fucks like um, she'll show pictures of her art uh, to the husband and the the, the parents and they're like oh it's great and then she'll go in the basement to help them throw something in the laundry later on and she'll look on the wall and see these paintings on the ground that are supposedly of her her boyfriend's old paintings from college or high school and then she'll look up above and there'll be these framed paintings with the author's name or the um you know the painter the artist on them and they're the same paintings that she showed the the parents that she drew and it's just like man what in the sam hell is going on here and it's just so you can think of it on a million different levels um a first time watch i don't think will suffice for this one but just thinking about it it keeps cutting back to this janitor and and eventually you know exactly who the janitor is or how he's involved and at one point it cuts to a movie and it says directed by robert zemeckis and you're just like what the fuck is that and that ties into it it's just a weird ass movie and it has a lot of things going for it and it's just a mixture of strange things and i'm saying it just evokes emotions that it's very hard to get these comments complex emotions and feelings within a movie of frustration and love and hate and just 
the disdain for everything in a certain way or the the just you know life you know it's just uh, it's just weird i don't know how to explain it i don't know how to necessarily get down to it with one watch or this is the kind of movie that people write about or some people will see nothing in and a lot of people will see everything in it um i really enjoyed it i thought there was a lot to dissect and i felt like um at the very least it would evoke the emotions that it was trying to go for in me um very well acted i like how it shot too just that cold winter feeling and everything like that <laughs> like they spend 10 minutes getting ice cream just to be like this is too sweet i don't want this in the middle of a snowstorm it's that kind of insanity but um, i'm thinking of ending things you know uh great stuff um i really liked it this isn't for everybody so if somebody were like i can't stand that movie i think it's dumb and here's the reasons why i could completely understand why someone wouldn't like this but i did and i thought it was interesting as hell so yeah good stuff Okay, this next one here is called The Dark and the Wicked. Pretty popular movie, I guess, for 2020. A lot of buzz on it. It's Brian Bertino, who did The Strangers and Monster and Mockingbird, I believe. I had seen Monster, which I thought was really good. But um, The Dark and the Wicked, okay. Um, so basically, what we have here is this kind of rural area, this farm, and obviously filled with dread. This place has a lot of dread-inducing things. It's just isolated and really dark, so... A brother and sister have to go back home because their father is really sick and their mother, uh, you know, he's taking care of them. But she doesn't really want him to come back because obviously something's wrong with this farm. Lots of kind of strange things happening. So they go back and within a few days, something really tragic happens. Um, and I don't want to give anything away, but staying there, um, there's something dark and there's something wicked within this farm. Um, Xander Berkeley is in here. Um, what I do like about the movie is they have kind of rural or Southern, not, I don't want to say Southern, but more rural characters. I don't really know what state they're in, but they're rural. Um, characters that feel fairly normal. They're not really portrayed as I am a big dumb stereotype. Um, they're fairly uh, well-rounded and good people and believable people. And I like that. I do. I really do. Because I'm done with just watching, you know, your, your cookie-cutter bullshit Southern characters or, or rural characters or stuff. I mean, sometimes it works as long as it's in on the joke or it's saying something about that obvious character type in a, in, a, in a way that makes fun of it, that people are doing it all the time. But sometimes it just gets eye-rolling. And I thought these characters were at least well-grounded, well-established, and decent. Um... But at the same time, I feel like I liked this movie better when it was called Hereditary. And I don't want to say that it's exactly like Hereditary, but I did notice that a lot of the complaints in the movie was, man, can we get over this like art horror thing? And a lot of these movies are fantastic, but like if you're going to kind of try to evoke that for me, like that dark and pending, and I know it's nothing new. It's nothing that came out within those movies, okay? So don't jump on me for that. But if we're going to try to invoke that feeling of something like a Hereditary or uh, The Witch, you're going to make me think of those movies and you're going to immediately make me compare them to it. This dark family drama with these horror elements and everything like that. Um, there are some good beats in here that I really liked um, at one point where one of the characters says they're this character and they say, here's my number and they call that character and it's not who they appear to be and it's just some mean-spirited kind of thing that happened. I like that. I think that's dark. But by the end of the movie, it starts to hit these beats where it's like, oh, that's what we're going to do. I feel like I knew exactly every step of the way what was going to happen and it's just like it's gonna it's kind of obvious and there's a lot of like crummy cgi like the sheep scene is crummy the spider looks crummy and you know it's funny because i'll be talking about other movies that have weird offbeat cgi that's not great too but 
those movies have this layer of weirdness or strangeness that you can kind of get away with it. And this one obviously is weird and, but it's dark and very serious. And like I said, I like that it takes place in a rural farm area. I think that's cool. I think that's a creepy place to set it. Um, and I think it does a lot of dark things, but I feel like this one is almost very by the numbers of, uh, and I know like 10 years ago, it wouldn't be people like, I just love that. It's a really well-made, well-acted, depressing, dark horror film. But I feel like maybe I'm burnout on that, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But I feel like every step of this movie, I was like, okay, know where this is coming, know where this is coming. This is we're gonna do that for sure, especially when he goes back home and they have that scene with the kids and everything. I was like, oh well, this is really obvious what's happening here, and this is like, yeah, it's a fact. It did. Um, and a lot of people are complaining about the very, very ending, and I'm just like, eh, I don't really care. It is what it is. But, um, you know, I, it was okay for me. I think it's well made. I think it's well acted. I think that the cinematography is good. I think that the music good. I think it has good impending doom. But at the end of the day, um, it's just a good movie for me. It's not anything too special for me. And I know a lot of people think this is the best thing that came out this year. But um, I guess I'm just looking for something a little bit different. Um, and if you're going to do this, and it does have differences between a lot of the other movies, you better be better than the other ones to make my number one spot. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, and I'm not saying there's anything like this that came out exactly this year, but there's other stuff that came out within the last couple of years that just knock it out of the water. But that is the dark and the, the wicked. So, yeah. Okay, going to be brief with this one just because it's so weird. I don't know how to go about it. This is called The Berlin Bride, and this is on Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, this is a, on 16mm, if I'm not mistaken, and this is a super strange movie. It follows two characters, one of them who's a garbage cleaner who is clearly sexually repressed or sexually uh, uh, upset, and he's like cleaning up garbage in the very beginning at a nude beach, seeing all these people, beautiful naked people doing things, and he's just like completely like uh, just... Reminds me, like, looks kind of like Dario Gentoo, like, 30 years ago. Just cleaning up garbage, looking very uh, distraught and unsettled. And then there we have this kind of dressmaker, or he, he sells, like, these kind of dresses and stuff like that. And he has one arm. So what happens is, one day, the cleaner finds a mannequin missing an arm. And um, he decides to uh, take it home and kind of dress it up and start this kind of weird relationship with him, with it. Um, it's a female. I, I'm with her. With her. Or with a mannequin. It doesn't have it. It's a mannequin, right? And then um, the, the guy with the one arm finds the arm. And one day he puts it on and it kind of takes over his arm. And he, he's already effeminate, but the arm starts to kind of morph and take him over. It's a super strange movie. Um, and although I didn't love In Fabric from last year, I think that's an interesting movie. And I think for some reason... It feels a little bit like In Fabric, although not as professionally made, I guess I'll say. But I feel like there is this weird similarity here um, that you take this weird object and make it evil or haunted. And it's just like, this is so bonkers. Although this one feels very stylized, super stylized. It's in full screen, but it has like the... Um, the um, curtain like you're watching a play like you're watching this all on stage on the sides of the screen i don't know if they did that because they're like we want widescreen on amazon they're like i'll give you a widescreen i'll give you a fucking a bunch of curtains and we'll shoot this in full screen and let's keep them on the side whatever i don't know what they're doing but that, i imagine they want it in full screen but um it's a unique looking movie um and a lot of the times you're like this does feel legit like something from the 70s and uh you know invoking the horror with the mannequins is of course there's so many movies that use mannequins or dolls and stuff like that in a creepy fashion of course maniac and even you go back to Killer of Dolls and um, 
Jeez, Deep Red has the dolls. Just uh, creepy, creepy. But um, obviously, this doll is supernatural. That's I'll leave it at that, and it starts to get strange and with the uh, you know appendages and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's weird, and it's fairly short too. So check it out, man. It's it's I would put it in something in the vein of Laplace's Demon. Um, although that's different and, and unique in its own way, really special. This is also really weird and different, and a lot of people either, they'll love this one or they'll, they won't like it at all. It's definitely acquired taste. I thought it was pretty cool, and I think that most people should check it out. At least watch the first 10 minutes, and if you're in, you're in. It, it's something, it's just a weird movie. Okay, another one of the heavy hitters from 2020, we have The Lodge. Yeah, and this is by the same people who did Goodnight Mommy, which I was all right on. I thought it was well made, but, you know, the twist was pretty obvious. And this one, um, I think, was spoiled for me. So I can't, I'm going to have real trouble holding the twist up against this one, bad or negative. But um, this movie definitely has the world's dumbest psychiatrist father of all time. Like, it's like, do you even know what you're doing? Like, are you the worst at your job of all time? But I think he is. He's just a, he's just a moron. Bad father. Bad father of the year award just for being an idiot. Um, maybe he shouldn't have had kids in the first place. But anyways, what we have here is a father who is um, has these two young kids. Um, not super young, but I think like probably like 15 and 12 or something along those lines. And uh, he's obviously going through kind of the beginnings of a divorce with his wife, who I think is Alicia Silverstone, if I'm not mistaken. And he started to date a younger girl who used to be a patient of his who had suffered some um, problems in a cult, a religious cult. She's much younger than him. So basically what happens is... Um, he tells his wife that he wants to finalize for a divorce and something really tragic happens. And we kind of flash forward a little bit down the line and he tells his kids that I want you to go uh, celebrate Christmas at the cabin, um, the family cabin with uh, my new girlfriend because I want you guys to get to know each other very well. He knows that the kids have an animosity towards her and a resentment towards her for good reason. And um, he also knows that she had these medical problems because he was her psychiatrist and he's also dating her. So like he's also so knows that he's not going to be able to be there right away. So like you have to basically like, like swallow that pill that he's a big ass moron. So therefore immediately you're kind of just like eye roll on this guy. You don't like him. So uh, that, that kind of opens that up. Um, they're very well off. And it's always funny to me when people are like, we're going to go to our cabin and they go to like their second home. And you're like, this is better than like anything I've ever had in my life. So it's always kind of funny too, right? Like in these movies, they're like, I'm going, we're going to our second cabin. And it's like these rich people, you're like, ah, yeah. and then like their, their second house in the middle of nowhere is better than like everybody's house. It's like, oh, this thing's like $3 million house out here um so they go out there and they're isolated completely um it's a great location it's super creepy the atmosphere is great um it, it's snow it keeps building and uh and, and pretty soon you start to know something's wrong um one what comes to that all their stuff has disappeared in the morning including her medication and you don't know if something supernatural is happening or she's losing her grip on reality and and all that kind of stuff and it ends up super tragic super depressing super crazy she starts to have hallucinations possibly or maybe it's not of you know her father who ran the cult and all sorts of things and she's not really thinking clearly i'll leave it at that um the acting's really good um it's super dark super depressing and i think it's much more straightforward than their last movie uh, and everything like that i think it's you know a little bit more um 
less like, hey, isn't this a great twist? I think it's not really even a twist. I think it's kind of, like I said, I knew the twist, but I don't feel like I would have been tricked by any twist or if there is even really a twist. But um, I do think this one's really well made, really well acted, interesting, creepy. And uh, I still have trouble getting over how annoying that father is. I really do. He's just a fucking idiot. Um, like, I can't believe this guy made this much money off his his, doc, his psychiatry or whatever. And he has this, he's just dumb. Like, it just goes to show you that this dude's been ripping people off for years. But uh, I would recommend checking this one out. A lot of people will love it. I do think it's really good. I think it's probably on the higher end of this year for sure. But uh, yeah, you know, like this movie really captures the cold. It feels very, very cold. And I, I can't state that enough, but that's the watch. Good stuff. Okay, I, I really dug this one, um, and this one is called Rent-A-Pal. <laughs> yeah, um, this one was on Hulu, and it had Will Wheaton in it, and uh, a couple actors. I really didn't know them, but uh, yeah, the, the lead of this movie I love. So we basically are following this 40-year-old guy. He's 40 years young, as he says in his uh, his kind of uh, pickup video, a dating video. And this takes place, I would imagine, in the 80, late 80s, early 90s. And he's just a lonely guy. He's 40. Takes care of his mother, who obviously used to be overbearing, but she has dementia now. She doesn't remember him. Life is hard for him. He lives in his mother's basement. He watches a lot of tapes and everything like that. His father was a, a jazz musician. He likes jazz and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he's sending in his tape all the time at this place. And um, one day he finds this little cassette in the bargain bin called Renapal, and he's so sad, so desperate, he ends up taking Renapal home with him. And it's basically Will Wheaton, who is really cheesy and hammy and asking questions on the tape, like, hey, and gives you time to answer them. And at first, he's very kind of making a joke out of it. He asks him his name once he says, it's fuck you. He's like, it's written all over your face. And um, he has these responses, but then eventually, it, it seems like the pauses aren't so far off, and the tape is actually communicating with him. And you're thinking, is he starting to lose his grip on reality just because the situation with his mother? Or is actually this tape possibly supernatural or anything like that? But luckily for him, he eventually starts a relationship down the line. And the woman he's with is super sweet and super nice. And you definitely want to pull for this guy. But this tape... Um, is going to come back and bite him in the ass, if that makes any sense to anybody. Um, thought the acting was great. Love the lead character in here. You actually feel sorry for him simultaneously as being, a, and you're afraid of him at the same time. But um, you, you really get to know him. Um, the mother uh, has some good moments too. Like the, it captures the frustration of having to take care of somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Alt timers. I always say old timers is what I sound like, like an idiot. And I know it's not that, but I am an idiot, so let's just let it be. Um, so I, I think it does that well. Like I said, I think he is good. I think he's really great. And I think this really focuses on the relationship between him and his mother, relationship between him and Will Wheaton on the tape, and the relationship he starts with the girl. But um, no, I just thought this one was really great. And it gets really kind of sad and depressing. It is a slow burn, but because if you're not interested in the characters or the relationships or the situation, you won't be into it. But it definitely has that chunk of, you know, like videotape nostalgia to it at the same time. Really recommended this one. Really like this one. Good, good stuff. So that is Renapal. All right, this next one is of Avarium on Hulu and it has Imogen, uh, Poots, and Jesse Eisenberg. And this one's pretty good, man. Uh, this plot right here it was, it was like kind of a basic plot where I was like, this is going to be like 10 minutes and I'm going to get bored. It was like a, uh, a married couple are looking for a new home and they get led to this weird house and it's a labyrinth and they can't escape. A newborn baby is brought to them and say, raise the baby and you can leave. And I was just like, man, this is, I feel like this can't go on for an hour and a half. And it does keep my interest for an hour and a half. It does it very well. So the beginning of this movie does the shows the cuckoo bird pushing, uh, being born and pushing the other birds out of the nest and letting the mother take care of it. And you're like, oh, I know exactly where this 
this is going. It's definitely, um, you know, going to show that right there on the plot of the movie. You get it. So um, the husband and wife end up going to this uh, this place to look at Holmes and this really weird, strange guy who doesn't seem to have any comedic beats or timing or human interactions down well. Um, so he ends up taking them to this house on number nine in a neighborhood where all the houses look identical and it's kind of a labyrinth and loop. They can't get drops them off. They look at the house. Um, it's really awkward and weird. And then he leaves them and they're stranded and they don't know what to do. The only thing in the fridge to eat is wine and strawberries. And, uh, they pretty much, uh, within a few days, um, a baby is delivered to them. It says, raise the baby and you're free to go. Um, this movie, uh, is, is good because uh, besides the acting and the plot and the setup is all is all solid, they do what I would have done. I'd have like I'd have set that fucking house on fire within a and within a day and see if anybody comes. And they do exactly that. Like it's always nice to see like when you're like I would do that, I would do that. And then they do that and you're like oh that didn't work. Oh man, man, man. I'm like I guess I'm fucked. I guess we're fucked. We're screwed. We're screwed here. So like they're doing all that and I really like that. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for like there's so many movies you watch. Really, like, I do that and then they're like they don't do it and. And it's also easy to judge in a situation where you're not panicking. But a lot of the times I'm like, I would have done that. I would have done that. And then they're just like kind of screwed. But um, I like the relationship they have. And obviously when they raise the kid, the kid gets older quicker and faster. And he's super annoying and super creepy because he mimics their voice almost like some sort of bird or insect. And I would suggest that he's more of an insect. But... Um, the, the husband, Jesse, starts to be obsessed with digging and digging his way out of there. And and over time, uh, they both start to have, like, mental problems and physical problems. And the, the son is getting older and older. And it just gets worse and worse for him. But uh, there, there's a really cool part where you kind of realize that this is some sort of alternate dimension. Whatever it is, like, that you get a glimpse at behind the curtain. And I like that. I thought that was really cool. And I like that um, you, you kind of know where it's going throughout the entire movie um at a certain point you do and but the payoff to get there i mean still watching them get there is really good and they have a couple moments of uh humanity when they listen to the radio and everything i thought this was a really good movie really recommend this one for sure and it was well acted too i liked all the characters i thought they did a really good job except the kid of course hate the kid uh but i think you're supposed to so anyways good stuff um yeah that is vivarium Okay, the next one is Unhinged. And again, it was like $3 around on Amazon. And I had heard some good things about it. Um, and it had Russell Crowe in the trailer. Just like that gifts going around of him like, Ugh, all mad in the wind. It just makes me so happy. But uh, essentially, Russell Crowe's doing like John Goodman from 1990 as a villain. And I love it. Because I like Russell Crowe. Like you can sense his intensity and his anger. And it just comes through the screen. And you're just like, oh man, Russell Crowe's pissed. And I, I just like that. So essentially, this is kind of like falling down the more modern one in a lot of car chases. And I'm not a big car chase guy unless it's practical. But it's more of an intense kind of thriller deal. But um, Russell Crowe is this guy who's going through a divorce, it seems. He is obviously having family problems and he does some unspeakable thing right in the opening of this movie. Um, then we cut to this young this, this young mother who's going through a divorce. She's having trouble at her work. Her kid's having trouble at school. He's just having all, she's just having all sorts of problems, right? She's highly stressed. She never listens to her kid when she's supposed to, when somebody, you know, getting to school and everything. She decides to take the expressway to try to cut some time. There's a traffic jam. She's super stressed. She gets off and um, this guy's sitting in the middle of an underpass or something, not moving. So she honks at him, layers the horn on this guy. And it's uh, and she made a big mistake when she laid her horn on. Russell Crowe kind of uh, comf 
confronts her and says, I think you meant to give me a courtesy tap. This is all in the trailer. And she's like, no, I didn't. Ignore him. And she actually is kind of being a little bit less, you know, she could easily just, uh, you know, um, diffuse the situation by kind of like just, just like playing into his ego a little bit and letting him shut up and then kind of driving away. But she's not having it. She's really mad. So Russell Crowe, being the psycho that he is in this movie, decides to focus all his psycho energy in on making her life a living hell because she doesn't know what a bad day is. So Russell Crowe basically um, gets her phone somehow and starts, you know, threatening her with calls and everything like that and tracking them and doing all sorts of crazy things. This is basically an intense thriller. There's some really crazy car stuff where I was like, oh man, it's just, just kind of a thrill ride. It's really fun. I really loved watching Russell Crowe. He's intense. He's crazy. He messes some stuff up. Um, and he's the best part of the movie, all right? Like, it's just you buy him being a crazy person in the movie. You buy the intensity and stuff. And, and it was just a real fun ride. I'm not going to lie. It just feels very like a, a thriller that I had seen quite in some time entertaining as hell um it's like it's a movie that you i would recommend to people just like just a lot of people that you know would enjoy it like it's just something that i would put on with like friends and we would just enjoy the hell out of it you know what i mean like it is like kind of like i said in falling down but i don't think that russell crowe gets as much sympathy i know a lot of people have sympathy for michael douglas although he is a maniac in the movie um more sympathy for Michael Douglas than you would Russell Crowe, because Russell Crowe is just violent as hell in this movie. But it's the role he was meant to play, right? He, he's pretty big in it, too. Um, uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, recommend checking this one out. Really enjoyed it, and it was kind of a surprise. I, I knew, I was like, eh, I don't know what. I saw the trailer, I was like, it could be all right. And then when I watched it, I was like, I'm going to rent that, and I was really happy. I was pleasantly surprised with it. Um, yeah, some good stuff on Hinged. All right, this next one is from 2020, and uh, I had heard a couple people talking about this. They were like, oh, this one is definitely shot up to the top of the list to check out for 2020. I know it was on the uh, Elric Kane and Rebecca McKendry are both giving it praises on their new podcast. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to check it out. It was $2.99 to rent on Amazon, so I snatched that up along with Unhinged. Both are $2.99 to rent. So I wanted to check it out. And this is, I would say, comedy romance horror, right? Yeah sci-fi too Freud's so lifey it's definitely a genre movie yeah. I, I can't I know people are like but that's not horror enough and it's just like at this point it's 2020 it's a little horror I'm counting it because I liked it so much yeah. okay we start this one off and uh, it has like the narration like it feels a lot like the high school movies like Heather's maybe possibly with the narration it does and have talking like, like that. Heather's um, and, and let me yeah. say this I know people have been going back younger people going back and they've said like they watch Heather's and they're kind of off put or confused <laughs> by it um you got to put that in context when it came out and how I still think Heather's is so great and so funny and so much. Uh, I know Massacre at Central High came before it and it kind of probably inspired that a little bit, the high school horror carry possibly. Mm -hmm. But with that same, like that um, almost self-aware of how stupid fucking high school is and making fun of everything around and being in on the joke and creating, adding to the joke, it, it's Heather's, man. Like, oh, yeah. And being super dark in that kind of way, it, it's just such perfect and different and i think a lot of the high school movies that have come out since are directly inspired by that and i i would say this one is too although this one is definitely very modern the characters are super modern it's a very modern movie yeah despite it being almost it makes me think of like some of like the early 2000s like movies like yeah jawbreaker and shit jawbreaker like chum scrubber and maybe even brick yeah. Um. Just, just like that kind of. Um. What was the one uh, that was kind of like Chub Scrubber? Um. I can't remember what it is. It had uh, Lou Taylor. It doesn't matter yeah. what it was. Um. But anyways, yeah. This one, it's it's uh basically this uh it follows really this young girl 
she's in high school and they're just talking, sitting in class. And then one day somebody spontaneously combusts. That's why it's called spontaneous. Gore flies over everyone. I wouldn't say combust. I'd just say explode. That's spontaneous. Spontaneous combustion is what they call it. That's what's happening to them. Isn't that fire? Yeah, and they burst into flames, right? But yeah. I guess they're just spontaneously exploding. Yeah. So I guess it's not spontaneous combustion. It's just spontaneous. Just spontaneous? Yeah, spontaneous explosion? Okay, whatever the scientific term would be for just exploding out of fucking nowhere. But uh, spontaneous combustion is pretty much uh, mostly thought of as a myth and doesn't really happen. But mm. um, there have been bodies found that have been burned and no one knows how the hell they got burned. So right. it's, it's a weird phenomenon uh, that may be or may not be true. Um so anyways, uh, this person explodes and, uh, they basically all get shuttled, uh, and it's narrated by the girl. She always saying funny things and ridiculous things. And it's cutting in weird things. Like they'll show them take their high school picture and they'll tell you who the person is right after they die. So you get some insight and they basically all get shuttled to like this, uh, this police station. They're all isolated and they ask them all questions and they come to uh, the theory that they think that it might happen to more than more than one of them yeah so pretty soon all the kids start randomly exploding um some of them here and there are this high school only the high school seniors of this class and everything so this young man um decides to make a move on the main character because he figures hey i'm not guaranteed tomorrow i might as well go for it and they start a relationship and it's not your typical relationship he's he's very kind of nerdy film fan and it's one of the only movies where i watch where you know how you have the film fan is like, I'm the film dork. I'm such an annoying <laughs> random fucking character, you know, and, and for being a film fan myself, it gets annoying and they become really no, lame. But this one, it's a little different. They don't seem to constantly be talking about film. It's just here and there and sprinkled in kind of right. like how real life would be with a film fan. They don't constantly talk about it because they know most people don't know what the hell they're talking about. But, uh, yeah, the relationship's great. Um, the gore's great. It's very gore's gory. Fantastic. And it's really funny. And the stuff she mm-hmm. says cracks me up, but somehow manages to be touching, too. I would compare this to last year's Knives and Skin, although I find this one much better because it's more comedic in mm-hmm. a sense. I think that this one's really approachable, even for, like, maybe a younger crowd. Yeah. Um, and an older crowd. Um, it, felt, it filled me with, like, a sense of, like, nostalgia for, like, yeah. that time. Even though For I sure. kind of sort of hated it, but you know I liked it. Yeah, it's like it's like turning on an album <coughs> that you love from two thousand seven, yeah. two thousand eight. And, like, you don't do it anymore because, you know, it brings back feelings of nostalgia that are both, like, a bittersweet feeling that, and the, the bittersweet feelings are the ones that, um, they seem to hit me the hardest, um, because it's, like, happiness and sadness and regret and all that shit all mixed into one blender of, you know, getting old and all that stuff, so. Hunger. Hunger. Always hunger. I'm always <laughs> hungry. Um, <laughs> it's very hard to not eat all the time. But, um, this movie just... I really like this. And I, like I said, I don't want to spoil it because it's a brand new movie, but there's just a lot going for it. I love the score, the music and everything. And uh, they use quotes from movies that I remember that one part in the, in the the graveyard that I I was like, that's from that. And then they're like, she's like, I got oh, this from that. And I, yeah. I was like, every step of the way, like when I hear something, I'm like, oh, I hope they're doing this. And then they are doing that. And I'm like, right. I like that even more because of it. Um, this is based off of a book, yeah. um, and it's really weird that it comes out this year in 2020, because, you know, we are going through, like, the pandemic you know, stuff. this pandemic stuff, and, you know, I remember, like, last year, and now maybe again this year, just, like, a lot of high school seniors were just kind of, like, like, their senior year was kind of, like, dashed, like, proms canceled, distances canceled, you know, no graduation, so it's kind of weird 
that this movie comes out and it's like, oh, we're, we're kind of going through this right now, aren't we? And, you know, yeah. I think the book is a few years old. Um, I didn't bother to look. Somebody might know. Somebody might have read it. I didn't read it. Yeah, but, I, um, read it I just thought that that was really interesting. It's like, like, how planned was this? This was probably a conspiracy to, like, promote the movie. And now we have Stop. it. And now, now the vaccine's coming out this week. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, this movie that didn't go through theaters <laughs> that probably cost not that much. That's how people think, man. You see, just think, man. Think, man. Don't think. Basically, telling you don't think and think. Right. Listen to what I have to say because it's nonsense. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I really enjoyed this one, and this is a movie that dates itself with its references. Oh yeah, big time. And a lot of times, I would say that's a negative, and I would not say that here, or at least it didn't bother me. Now, maybe in twenty years, I'm like, I wish they wouldn't have done that. Right. But I do feel like this movie is very much of its time, and I don't think it could get away from that. Anyways, even if it didn't have those references, so fuck it right i mean right. like it, it's gonna wear what it is on its sleeve and it's very much a product of its time um even though it was made year written years before the pandemic and it still manages to reflect exactly what it is today mm-hmm. um, which is interesting you know um i, I think this is a time it, it is timely and it's also dated it will be dated it's dated but it, i think it's dated in a very good way I mean, it's hard to say it's dated yet when it's brand new but it will be it will be, but it, it, I don't want to say that it'll be dated in the sense that it's out of fashion. I will say that it's dated in the sense that, man, this is really reflective of the time in which it was made. Like probably like a John Hughes movie. Yeah, or a John Waters. What? I, <laughs> I'm not sure John Waters movies are dated to reflect the time they are. I just um, wanted to say never John director. is the okay. only one I know. John Carpenter. <laughs> no! <laughs> I don't think you'd get directors. Romero. That... I think Romero. It'd be, Romero's like Romero. their time stamp, but they're timeless. This yes. is not going to be timeless, exactly. I think it might be timeless. <clears throat> Do you ever hear George Romero be like, Ronald Reagan? No, he can't because his movies don't reflect. Do you see what I'm saying here? You don't get it. Never mind. <laughs> Shopping mall. <laughs> Shopping mall. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they are now um but uh, anyways <laughs> i just name in one thing it's like you're like you're like uh are a bunkers <laughs> right bunkers here we go okay a functioning um, army um what? <laughs> just give me a review we're done love the movie i'm not gonna tell you my rating or anything like that we only do it for the blind spots but i would highly recommend we don't it. we don't usually but you started on these ones so i started well, can I get my rating? Yeah, you, could get, you could say what you want. Yeah, a two and a half. It's <laughs> it's not a two and a half. It's it, I probably honestly, out of everything I've seen this year, it might be my favorite after um, Wolf Hollow. Snow Hollow. Yeah, yeah, Wolf, yeah. Those are both great. Those are both really good. Um, I did really like this one, and it did make me cry a little bit. I mean, I didn't like show you because I didn't want you to think that I was yeah. crying. <laughs> Nobody ever. When, I, when you're watching no girl anymore, what you <laughs> anymore? No, but when you're watching a movie and like it's like high school, when you're like, like this is dumb, right, guys? Right. To- totally <laughs> stupid, man. Totally stupid. You watch like a Disney movie, like Lion King, I'm stop like, us dying. And you're like. This is fucking dumb. Mustafa's dumb. There's always that dude who's like, Lord, it's Mufasa, not Mustafa. I think Mustafa's a stuffed grape or something. Uh, Mustafa might be that MMA wrestler, Al Turk. No, I think it's like uh, an Italian dish. Oh, well, well. It's Mussolini's the lion. The lion was Mussolini. Yes, there we go. Mussolini got ripped to pieces because he had it oh. coming. But, uh... <laughs> 
Um, no, no. no it, there's always that, that bro in high school who makes a joke during the Disney movie because everybody's super sad. Like, man, that lion dumb. And then everybody's like, hoo, 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 because they don't want to show that they have human feelings. I cried because <laughs> we were watching Return to Oz. So I, I don't know. I, I'm going through something. <laughs> With that lion, lion. It's, it's like, lion, I missed you. It's not <laughs> like, even a movie for three He wasn't even in the movie. All right, all right. Okay. This has nothing to do with spontaneous. This is Rant City, USA. Um, loved it. Um, almost perfect. Yes. What Fine. Okay, this next one is also from 2020, although technically I think it was released everywhere else in 2019. And I've been hearing about this one. It is, uh, man, I don't know. This is basically the come, a come and see of 2020, um, if you guys are familiar with that movie from 1985. Now, I'd say come and see is probably, they're very similar, maybe a little bit less exploitative and more down to earth. But The Painted Bird is a is, is an insane movie. It's basically the horrors of war and in the line with Come and See and Na- The Naking Massacre, Black Sun, The Naking Massacre. Those are the only two movies that come to mind for me is just basically, hey, just this is like misery porn, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, although it's super well made, this is just like a two, is it two and a half or three hours? I think it's. I thought it was like 240 or... 250 or something. like This is two hours and 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. Put it this way. I have ADHD. I put it down and watched it in one sitting without checking the time or getting up or any of that shit. I kept getting up. You had to have a cigarette. So (laughs) I might have paused it once. I think I was doing dishes. No, you weren't. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, um, The Painted Bird. Um, So you probably won't have too much to say on this one. I got a lot to say, actually. Okay, good, yeah. good. So, like I said, this one, it, it takes place during World War Two, and this is kind of like in, a, I would imagine, what country was it? Eastern Europe area, or Poland, Poland, somewhere around there. Uh, mm-hmm. The Nazis have already started to invade and take over, and I think this is towards the tail end of the war, because there is signs that um, the Nazis may be losing. We already have Jews being shipped off on a train to the gas uh, chambers and all that kind of stuff. We have Russia. Ooh, Russia kind of infiltrate. Yeah, so that Russia already um, fighting and invading and everything like that um so this is divided in a bunch of chapters the main uh, story follows this young kid who is very innocent and sweet in the very beginning he and right in the opening of the movie this horrible act happens where a pet of his is tracked down because he's obviously not watching it and or it's burned in front of him and you're like that sets the you know president for everything that's going to happen and uh eventually he gets um the person he's living with dies um and there's a fire, and he's blamed for it. He's kind of an outcast. He's a Jew. He's actually was on the way to meet his father somewhere, and he was holding over at this place. But uh, it gets crazy, and he gets separated, and he's on the run, and he ends up coming in contact with all these different people until um, tragedy strikes, and he has to move along again. Um, there is scenes of war. There are scenes of brutality and rape, and this is one of the only movies, I think, where a character... I don't want to spoil too much, but um, you know what? I'll probably keep it as vague as I can. Okay. But the only thing about this movie that I will say is there is a couple scenes that cross the line and get so over the top that I was like, this is less of a art drama film turning on the edge of an exploitation film um with the eye scene i was like what in the yeah. hell and the goat scene i was seriously like mm-hmm. is this just like a taboo list checker um but besides that the cinematography is fucking excellent i mean it's shot super well it's acted mm-hmm. super well the sound design it's just the kid stops talking at a certain point i'm not even sure if he says one damn word he has a in the beginning but he stops at a certain point he, start, he starts back up towards... No, does he? Yeah. 
Okay, but he's oh, a very quiet character, yeah. as you would be when right. you're alone and going through that. Um, you know, it's it's almost it made me think of like Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. Um, wait, is that the one where we go down the river? Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn? Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. They're the same um, story, but told very different. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, so very similar to Huckleberry Finn, like only without the traveling friend, but like it's essentially a young boy, like like the movies divvied up into chapters, and each chapter is a character that he's kind of being with you know yeah. around you know like it starts off you know like you said you have like the the miller and then you have the priest and the then priest, you the priest the witch doctress the witch lady, lady yeah. medicine woman so um, and they seem to all these like there's these people and they all have horrible aspects about them some show him kindness and people show him kindness you wouldn't expect and some people show him cruelty you wouldn't expect right and surprisingly there is like i thought this would be i didn't recognize anyone i didn't think <coughs> this would be kind of a bigger movie um, I thought it had like bigger movie money, but I didn't expect to see um, actors, like right. known actors in here. Um, and Uday Kier pops up in here, Julian Sands, Harvey Keitel, Stellan Starsgard, Barry Pepper. So I was like, holy shit. Um, I was really surprised to see all those actors in here. And mm-hmm. honestly, though, this kind of movie is such an epic, like you would really want to be involved. Um, and and oh, yeah. you saw parts of Come and See, right? Or you know of it? I don't know what you're talking it's about. It's the, um, the um, Russian war film. That's 85. It's very oh, long. Oh, I think I remember you watching This that. is pretty much a very similar film. I would say, yeah. Yeah, very similar. Um, But uh, there's a scene where they attack a village. It's just like, it's just intense, man. It just doesn't mm-hmm. ever let up. It never lets up on the insanity. Um, yeah. And they do show characters like how awful war is and just the crazy shit that happens in here. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't think there's any CGI either really, was there? Well, like, like... I, can't, I, I, think, I think there's some CJ, but, but like, I think there's a lot of practical shots. Well, I think shot. a lot of it is practical. Um, it, it is in black and white, so it's. I like that. Um, it. I think it does hide a lot of the, yeah. you know, the stuff you know if it is there. Um, a lot for a lot of it, the war is kind of in the background. Um, and you really get to see like like the misery of like living in early 20th century Eastern Europe. Um. Yeah, and some of it's so bad that I was like, I was watching these people how they treated this kid, how they beat him, right. and just awful the like superstition, and and throwing him in the water, all the horrible shit they did to him. And I was just like, I said at one point, I was like, maybe they'd be better off if the Nazis did kill all these people. Like I know that sounds awful, but they were mm-hmm. so awful to this kid and right. treating these people, certain people, so awful that you see the hatred within them at the same time. Like there was definitely a turning point in the war where they would take like citizens from the country and make them be on the Nazi side and work for the Nazis. So mm-hmm. even like people were ousting Jews and, and treating them miserable and bad and stuff. It's just, it's a horrible situation to be in. Right. You know, like you're watching this stuff and like, a, you know, when I'm watching it, because I, I missed, like, the beginning part, so I didn't quite know when it was taking place. And I, I really did think that this was taking place in, like, like 1812. Like, you know, yeah. that's probably because I'm reading War and Peace right now. But um, it it just, it's like, oh, yeah, but this is, like, this is, like, early 19th century. Like, yeah, of course we're behaving like this. Then it, like, cuts to, like, a biplane flying in the sky. It's like, oh, this is, like, modern I time? think they meant that. I think they did Not it on modern, purpose. But, I think they did it on purpose. Yeah, but, you know, I get, but... That is where it's kind of like parts of the world were at. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia in yeah. the opening, and then like you see, like in a few minutes, you see the piano and the cars, and you're like, "Oh shit, this is modern." Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, what what the what the one thing that I kind of like, and it is a little bit of a spoiler here, so it's just a, a moment that happens in the movie that sums up everything for you. 
Um, he, at one point, he kind of like stumbles in, and this guy who raises birds takes him in, this drunk guy. And um, this whole scene right here, um, this whole segment, I feel like it's the superstition kind of stuff. I feel like there's some faulty in there. Um, uh, don't torture a duckling with that woman in the woods. Mm-hmm. And But there's a scene where he takes one of the birds, and he um, paints it and throws it in the air, and the bird flies up to go to its flock of other birds, and the birds kill it. And um, the painted bird, I mean, they kill you. They treat you different because you're different. You know what I mean? All mm-hmm. it takes is to be a little different, and that's all it takes. And it's just kind of, I don't know if it's saying it about the nature of animals and human beings, is that? But it's a its a quite awful scene. I mean, but it also, there's CGI with the birds and stuff, but they don't look bad at all. Right. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know, it just kind of sums up the whole movie right there. It's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Shut up. But uh, anyways, uh, great movie. I, I really thought it was uh, fantastic. And uh, I know it's not uh, exactly a horror film, but in the lines, it's very grueling and has these moments that cross the line that are more harrowing and nasty than anything in a lot of the other horror movies this year. I mean, it's it's very real. Um, yeah, I it, it's a neat watch. Um, definitely worth the watch. But it might be kind of hard to sit through. For a lot of people, it's not. Yeah. Be, it's not an easy watch. Is that? It's ever. I think going to be the length, the lack of a color, unfortunately, the For language, um, and then you know just the graphic nature of it. Like it's kind of uh, yeah. like it's like a four pack of like <laughs> this is going to be awful. Like watch this and like cl- like film school or whatever i don't know i disagree i disagree with that exactly i mean like if you're watching this channel you should be okay with black and white and um oh yeah and all those yeah. things black and white and different language mm-hmm. and and th- maybe not three and a half hours because i always complain about run times but right. I, I complain <laughs> about run times on movies that cost 3.99 that are like have no editing whatsoever right. like they, there's like i'm watching a 12 minute scene of no cuts of this guy eating a eating a sandwich at an actual mcdonald's with no sound editing so it's like right you know what i mean well it, it's like it's one of those things where it's like when you put it on it's like oh man i don't really want to watch this but then like 20 minutes in, it's like i'm really invested right now and i exactly. really can't you know, take myself away from it. Um, I, I thought it was good. I really liked it. So, you we're, good on it? Yeah. We're not doing ratings anymore. What would you give it? I'm trying to avoid giving ratings on 2020 because I'm going to have a top 10. I list. know I know you're doing the top 10. I'm not privy to that. So, um, I will give this one a 4. A 4. It's a good choice. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. Alright, we're done. Alright, this one is Survive from Survive 05, 2005. And this is, of course, George A. Romero's Land of the Dead, the fourth in the Dead series. You guys know how I feel about George Romero um, and the Dead series in general. And I feel like this is George Romero's last great movie. And I think it's a little underappreciated when it came out. And I think, Mm -hmm. like, very similar to Day, although Day is my favorite movie, I think this didn't get as much love as it deserved. Now, this takes place after Day, technically, even... um, and what happens is some of the citizens had survived and they went to this place called Fiddler's Green, which is this giant towering building. And there's a surrounding area, kind of like a ghetto, where basically they work and steal food and everything to profit to these rich people to live in this tower. Definitely a big statement on that kind of stuff there. This one actually, unlike a lot of other Romero's movies, has mm-hmm. um, some name recognition, star power. It has... Um, uh, Dennis Hopper, John Leguizamo, Simon Baker, and Aja Argentu, Robert Joy. So um, Robert Joy had worked with Romero before. But yeah, we got some familiar faces in here. Obviously, Aja Argento is working in here because Dario and uh, Romero had a, a relationship, of mm-hmm. course, together. Um, yeah, uh, it's 
the one thing it is, it definitely reflects the time it was made. Like Romero's yeah. movies, we said, they reflect the time they're made, but they're also timeless. So the hairstyles and everything, you know, the gelled hair and all that shit, like people would care in this kind of situation. But uh, basically this follows the story of, like I said, Fiddler's Green, this whole area. And um, it follows um, Riley and uh, who? what's uh, John Leguizamo's name in here? Is it Cholo? It is Cholo. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And basically there are people that are raiders. They get food and bring it back for the rich people and everything like that. And they're kind of sick of it. So Cholo decides to do something after he's kind of disrespected by Kaufman, who's Hopper, who runs the place. And he kidnaps this truck called Dead Reckoning, which has missiles and everything. And he threatens to blow the place up. It's up to Riley to try to save the truck, save Fiddler's Green and everything like that. But meanwhile, there is a, the zombies are constantly evolving. Like in uh, Night, Dawn of Day, there's a, you know, a trajectory of the zombies. And now um, there's one called Big Daddy that uh, is a gas station clerk. Very similar to Bub that's kind of picking up on his own, learning right. on his own. And uh, he's leading a horde of zombies to Fiddler's Green. Is um the name Big Daddy? Is that just like a fan given name or? It's actually on his mechanic suit. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. it is. He's actually Big Daddy, and that that gas station is Big Daddy's gas station. He runs oh, okay. the gas station. That, so that makes sense. So that's I... that's very cool. Oh, cause like um like like there's like Doctor Tongue. You know, like, like yeah, he's yeah. like fan game. Fan. Oh, I mean, the other zombies yeah. that are known. This one does have some notable zombies. Like right. all Romero's movies have very notable zombies. Yeah. Um, and Land has um, you know, the Tambourine Man, Big Daddy, mm. um, the Butcher, and there's a couple other ones, the Baseball Player. Yeah. And so there's the couple too. They're holding hands. So like they're constantly there. Um, the positives for me are the special effects are really good yeah the story's pretty solid there's some funny mm. moments dennis hopper's great in it dennis hopper is the best part of the movie he as is. far as acting is concerned yeah and he comes in a f- about the 30 minute mark but all his lines are great mm. zombies man they creep me out picking his nose or you're dead you like, are dead hey what's that <laughs> that's my favorite part of the whole movie what's i wish i would have known that i would i just did something i probably wouldn't have done um dennis hopper's just one of the greatest of all time i, I mean and it's really so cool to me that he got to work with george Romero yeah like that's my favorite director one of the best actors ever come on mm-hmm. i love that because romero like i said he used great local talent and this one was shot in canada so he didn't have the local talent he normally had right and it doesn't feel exactly like one of those hey let's come together and make this awesome fucking movie um but it does have a little bit it does have the romeroism stuff in here too though yeah there's the romeroisms in there um it's also Hollywood a little bit. Yeah, may- yeah, maybe. I think you can definitely tell that this like movie was fabric. I don't want to say fabricated, but it was definitely like a project. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know like when Romero wrote the script if he had it for a long time. Well, originally it was called Dead Reckoning, I think, or maybe mm. Dusk of the Dead, and that that uh, he had the idea of the truck for sure for a while. And I think that he used a lot of, well, I know he did, used a lot of the Day of the Dead original script in the Land of the Dead script. Right. And, like, the ghetto and everything like that. And I remember reading the Day of the Dead original script, and it had lots of this kind of stuff in there. And, and like, like when, what we were talking when we were watching is, like, um, you know, people were commenting that it was a commentary on, like, the, the Bush years. Um, and, you know, I, I guess you could see it, in, you know, at some point. But, uh, like... I'm watching it, and, like, when I watch this movie, I think of, like, those 80 movies that all take place in, like, the Towers of the Future, like Gremlins 2. Or Poltergeist, Poltergeist 3. Poltergeist 3. Two. Yeah, Poltergeist 3. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just kind of, like, 
and even in our town, there were places that were built, you know, in like the late 70s, you know, early 80s, like Southwark Mall, which was like you live, eat, shop here. Like, you know, yeah. you'd never have to leave your... It's almost, I'd say, in this movie, more like a commentary on like like urban sprawl or like moving out to the suburbs. Um I would say it's it's something similar to that, or maybe even gentrification. And gentrification, but I think it's more so um, big statement on classism. Definitely classism. And the difference, oh, absolutely. Of, yeah, and yeah. the difference of people being struggling like yeah. that for sure. Um, how the rich people basically live off the poor, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I love that at the end, the the rich people are just morons. Like oh, yeah. throughout the entire movie, they have been so far away from the actual conflict on the ground of the dead and the zombies. Mm-hmm. That they literally do not know what the fuck to do when they attack. And and you could say, I can't believe they're this stupid. And I did at some points. Like when the guy committed suicide in the unrated mm-hmm. cut. I was just like, what an asshole. What a selfish prick, dude. Just shoot yourself in the zombie apocalypse. You're going to kill yourself. But mm-hmm. that whole thing. And then when like the zombies actually attack, they have no absolute idea what they're doing. No idea. They're all like grabbing their money. Like that's still a thing outside of your haven. Yeah. The money still matters, I guess. I, yeah. I wouldn't care about it. But... um. Uh, and there's one complaint. I, I do feel like Day was um, in worse shape than Land. Like, I feel like there was less people in Day than there was Land. It's hard to say. Um, one Day takes entirely... And, ah, takes Tired. place entirely within, like, that one an isolated set. area. Yeah. But those big hordes of zombies. But right. that's in a city. Right. But this one, they're everywhere, too. Like, if you stop a, a bus, like, mm-hmm. for five minutes, there's, like, 30, 40 zombies, right? So they're everywhere here. Oh, yeah. But, then, you know, this is like an island city, almost like a, like a Manhattan kind yeah. of style. So it's um, a little harder to get to. Yeah. There's some real cool touches in here. Um, they use these mm-hmm. sky flowers, which they used in Peninsula, um, Train to Busan Peninsula, too. They took that from this one. They use fireworks to distract the zombies. And there's a really great scene where they learn uh, that the fireworks are distractions. And they're like this, and they show, like, Big Daddy earlier stops them, but they're, like, looking up, and then they look down, and they, like, all these people are trapped by the electric fence. And mm-hmm. that part's pretty awesome. Like, you know it's coming. And, uh, uh, it oh, just yeah. delivers really well. Like I said, it has the Romero gut ripping. It has some inventive kills, mm-hmm. innovative kills. Um, like a lot of callbacks. A lot of callbacks. Um, you know, we have some sh- some cameos by um, some characters. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Include. I don't want to spoil it, but hey, everybody's probably seen this if you're watching this. So Savini yeah. pops back up as the Dawn of the Dead zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Blades, the character who was in Dawn of the Dead, got shot and right. did, not in the head. And and also there's some other cool things. Um, Phil Fondacaro's in here, which is kind of weird. Like there's one thing that I always thought Romero was really good at is making like great two dimensional characters, like in Night, Dawn, and Day. Like mm-hmm. and and I would say three dimensional in some of them, right? Like oh, yeah. Dawn and stuff. Just really rich characters that somehow sometimes went over the top, but never like completely went insane to where I thought they were cartoons. Like even Wooly, like in Dawn of the Dead or Rose and Day of the Dead, like, yeah, they're kind of over the top, but they're kind of also losing their minds in this situation. While this one, like literally just might as well introduce like Michonne from Walking Dead with a goddamn samurai sword. Like, like here is these three guys to help you and literally enter three ridiculous stereotypical characters from something from like 1994, um, kids Burger King America commercials or some right. shit, the action versions. And it's like, I am the bull hunter. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Like you can have one character like that in a movie 
and get away with it. And they'll be like the fan favorite that people will be like, what the hell? Or, or you can go too far and end up making something like Tusk where Johnny Depp's character comes out and you're like, fuck this character. This is the worst character I've ever seen. That's my opinion. And I don't think anybody could change my mind. But then like, we have like these other characters like I'm, I'm Motown. I'm from Detroit. It's like, right. but I don't, I'm Pillsbury. I'm a big fat guy, Samoan guy. It's just like, <laughs> whatever. Even though the Samoan guy turns out to be one of the best characters in the movie. Oh, it's fantastic movie. Um, character you mean? Yeah, he's yeah. a fantastic character. <laughs> Jeremy is—he's been up for twenty-three hours because work. So yeah, um, don't defend me. You're not my boss. Like, do you think they named him Pillsbury because like he he was stopping the zombies from rising? No, I doubt it. Dope? Uh No, I don't think they. Well, it's because he was fu- fat. It's because he was fat. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does have one of the funniest lines in the movie where he's like fifty thousand cars stolen in Somalia. Mm-hmm. That's what he says to the uh, the girl. She's to like, Motown. Who? Uh, yeah, to Motown is she's like, who cares? One million cars stolen in Detroit. She's like. He's like, there's a, there's 50 million cars in Detroit. Only only 50,000 cars in Somalia. Everyone's stolen. <laughs> and it's just like, that's so great. I love it. There, um, um, I would say that this this big movie, or, or this uh, the big flaw in this movie is its characters. Um, like you were talking about the characters. And it's like, I, I do think that Romero tends to write very two-dimensional characters. But two-dimensional characters aren't a bad thing. Two-dimensional characters are my personal favorite type of character. This movie suffers from stock characters where they are already... It's like he hit a character generator and it's like, okay, you got the tech nerd, you got the aliens commando soldiers, you got the cyberpunk girl. It's, It's like... They're not... Like, mouse? Like, hey, I'm mouse, and I carry a mouse, and I have a skateboard. It's like, what the fuck? Right, and and it's it's every character... Cholo's not so bad. Even though he's a stock character, he... The Leguizamo's really good in it, so he handles it well. Yeah, and... And And he has an arc, and he has a reasoning. He does, he does. You know his reasoning. Cholo is probably the most Romero-esque character of the... of the entire cast. Um, Ah, I think Kaufman could fit but he doesn't feel either like i don't know it's just dennis hopper's very good though dennis hopper's dennis hopper is a fantastic actor and and he plays his part exceptionally well (laughs) um but again it you know what is he he oh he's the 80s villain he's the rich villain asshole he's smart but he's also arrogant now now he's fantastic to watch and his scenes are great Um, but, you know, and having one or two stock characters, I'm just calling them stock characters, because it's probably a technical term that I don't know, is okay. But when your entire cast, or when your central cast, you know, again, it's not that they're two-dimensional, because two-dimensional, fine. It's fine. David Ed is very two-dimensional. It's the best movie ever written. Night is very two-dimensional. Um, I think Dawn Dawn's a bit more three-dimensional. Yeah. They're a bit more complex. But they're still relatively flat characters. Those um, are my favorite. We're not saying this is an insult. These are yeah, our yeah, characters. Yeah. These are our favorite movies. So. Like I said, there is nothing wrong with two-dimensional characters. It just depends on what the narrative is. And Sometimes you need three-dimensional characters. Sometimes you need two-dimensional. What fits best? But when you just have a stock character, when you make a prefabricated D&D character, it's like, okay, where, where's the fun? Where I know. think that the main character, Simon Baker, um, he's mm-hmm. a fine actor. He's an okay character. He's really boring to me. He's very boring. And he's not horrible. And, like, I know a lot of people will be like, well, he kind of used those character types in, like, the crazies, the original. And for some reason, the guy in the crazies, like, 
I like him. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? The guy in the crazies, the bald guy, the middle-aged fireman who is like a past war hero that everybody loves, but he also doesn't want to be a hero. I like that guy. I think he's a more two-dimensional in that movie. Yeah. I, I feel like also that movie has like such a gut punch ending that it's just really well. I, I don't know. Like, it's so weird to, to compare the differences in lead characters to something like the crazies to land of the dead, but there's a major difference. Like, and that character should be relatively kind of the same character, right? Right. But like, I feel like when I'm watching any of Romero's movies um, prior to this, you know, I always am afraid that something is going to happen to like, any of the characters you never think he's in danger yeah you with, with with pretty much the entire cast of um land like i don't think that anyone is ever in danger not the you, main ones not the main you know. three and then i in this movie when someone gets bit like they're off screen quick they don't typically stick around well it makes sense for some of the characters because they literally were shot more than once or they were right bit, you know but i mean like when you when you're watching um Night, Dawn, and Day, you know, uh, the girl in Night, you know, she's in the whole movie before yeah. she becomes a zombie. One of those uh, things grabbed her, bit her on the arm. Right. Roger, you know, you have a whole 20 minutes, maybe not 20, but, it's you know. Cool. No, it, you it's, get they, good... they destroy the whole, oh, they kill all the zombies in the building, and then they have right. the bed scene. Right. And There's you have like... that great moment where he's like, I'm going to try. Right. To come and, back. And then you have uh, Miguel, you never even see turn in Day. And, but he in this turn. movie, when they're bit, they literally have a running time of. 45 seconds. It's missing the dramatic beats the other movies are missing. Yeah. And I feel that's the same way about Survival and Diary 2. <coughs> I don't give a shit right. um, as much. Land, I care about some of them. But it's missing their dramatic beats. And it's mm -hmm. missing um, every line um, in this seems a little bit more um, comic booky. While in Dawn, they're like sparingly used to perfection. Mm -hmm. Where he's like, the heat of the crime. The only person who can miss with his gun will be the sucker right. with the bread to bike. And you're just like, yeah, that feels right right there at that moment. Because mm -hmm. in real life, every once in a while, you'll stop and you'll think about something before you say it. And it's going to land with the person you're saying it to because you, you, you planned it. Mm -hmm. And in Land, um, they just are... Every line's like that. Well, everybody's an action hero yeah. in Land. Robert Joy, though, has some good moments. Um, mm -hmm. He pulled me from the fire. It was bad. Right. Just look at me. You can tell it was bad. That's a reoccurring thing that he does. And I think that people do talk like that, especially somebody who has some, some weird mental um, capability problems. Right. And I, I like him in it. I think he's a good character. I really think Asha's fine, but she's just, hey, I'm tough as nails, right. uh, good-looking chick that fights. Right. Very stock, very stock, very of the time, very 2005, very Tomb Raider. You right. know, while I said there's the, it's missing those dramatic beats, like it's missing the... Um, the characters don't have the what what's the nuances that they do in right. day like even steel man steel when in day mm -hmm. like um and this is the thing that you know Gary Call wanted to do is the the cross like mm -hmm. that makes a hell of a lot of difference in a death scene like that and he gives them in the moment where he's backing up like that and the whole movie steals an asshole but for some right. reason you care when he dies and he's an asshole like. I don't know. That's good. That's good nuance in a character, I think. Well, and every every single character in Night, Dawn, and Day is, like, conflicted. Like, like at one point, you, every single one of those characters doubts what the hell something doing. about them. Yeah. Well, yeah, Steel, shoot that woman. Right. He he's exactly. like, he, right there, he has that moment where he's like, fuck, I don't mm -hmm. want to do this. Um, everything. You know. Right. And, and every single character in all three of those movies. And then you get this movie, and like I said, it's not a bad movie. Um, and it's not that two-dimensional characters are bad. It's just they're so stocky. I would say and that, that a lot of them so... are one-dimensional. 
They they are very one dimensional. They they are like I mean like I'd say they're more one dimensional than two dimensional. A lot of them. Yeah. Maybe it needed to be felt fleshed out about ten more minutes. I think it might have been. It was only an hour and thirty six. It might have needed ten more minutes of runtime and maybe half the characters it had. It its cast was just way too big for it to carry. I mean. Well, I mean you don't like. There's a lot of characters in the bikers. But the bikers, for some reason, you remember every single biker. And but the in... bikers one scene. And they're... The, imagine taking the entire cast of the bikers and... and falling like, for an hour and a half. Right. And really, that's really what it was. Like, when you're watching the beginning, it's like, they are like the, the professional army. Yeah. You know, the ones looting, the ones going to the stores and the malls. Maybe there's people barricaded in them. You don't know. And... Like, when you first start this movie, you know, that's kind of what you think is going on. Is like, oh, it's kind of like following that traveling army militia kind of thing going on. It's like, oh, no, we're just feeding a base, you know. But, um... I still think it's very good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I don't want to... Because there's lots of great stuff here. When the zombies invade uh, Fiddler's Green and they break through and they start Mm -hmm. eating everyone... That's some really awesome stuff. Right. Uh, Big Daddy's a real cool zombie. The Butcher's great. The Tambourine Man's hilarious how he moves. Right. The there's, evolution of the zombies is fantastic. There's lots of cool looking zombies too. Right. Um, and some of the CGI, you know, it's not great. But there is some really fun kills. How they kill some of the zombies and everything yeah. like that. And there, you know, there's some fun little scenes. You know, like a lot of cool, fun little side characters. Um the little guy phil phil fondacaro yeah yeah um he's in there i don't know why um, <laughs> it's weird that he's in there you get to see simon Pegg in there right. right in a nice little cameo mm-hmm. you get, it's, it's essentially um i've always compared it to it's like oh it's like they made a sequel to mario brothers the movie but uh bob hoskins was already dead no it's actually still alive because john leglesiamo and uh dennis hopper about right, koopa in a and luigi city i wonder if like, they talked about that or did they they shared scenes together yeah yeah it's mario Lo- uh no, Luigi and uh, Koopa. No, they shared scenes in Land of the Dead together, of course. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the central conflict. More yeah. than um, whatever yeah, Simon, really. what's-his-name, is going through. Yeah. Um, which is that he's like, I just want to hit the road. And it's like, I but just they stole go, my car. I just want to go to Canada. <clears throat> and at this point, it's like, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> is Cleveland still an option? That's the callback um, to, I think, I know she says that, and uh, I guess we can forget about Canada. Did she say Canada? Yeah, I think there's a someone mentioned Cleveland in one of those movies. I can't remember. Um, Um, You know, there is no shopping malls in this one. No, Um, they do mention Ronald Reagan. No, they don't. No, they don't. (laughs) Just Reaganomics. No, they don't. Oh, (laughs) because you're making a joke. Because I was saying about spontaneous. I was like, how they don't date themselves Romero doesn't ever date himself like that but anyways uh really recommended one and mm-hmm. I, like i said i just wanted to compare it to the other three previous movies um and it is like his last flashes of greatness for me like i still think i still think diary has flashes of greatness although it's not great this I... this has is great this ends up still being great to me this is still great this is still a solid movie um and it's a fun movie it's definitely a fun movie it's just when you're looking at like the other three, the it's other really three. I'm, I'm crashing. I'm tired. Um, you know when when you take this movie and you compare it to the perfect movie, it's like, yeah, wow, man, what happened? Yeah, but that's just also the Hollywood. You know, there's Hollywood. Stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a different time, different place. Mm-hmm. Everything's different. Right. And he obviously was shooting in Canada. He couldn't pick every actor he used and everything. Mm-hmm. He couldn't couldn't have that freedom that he used to have. And right. that's a lot of it too. And that happens with all actors and directors and stuff. It's twenty five years removed and so many 
you know, films of this genre have already been made and watched. And so by the time and I it get, is different than a lot of the ones that came out. It, it is, but at the same time, it's also very Resident Evil-y, I feel. Like, I wonder, like, somebody putting this in, not knowing the Romero movies, would be so confused, wouldn't they? No, I don't think that... You you can watch a zombie movie and be completely yeah, but ignorant. The, the time Romero. date and everything like that. Like if you put in Land of the Dead, you'd be like, "What is this? This must take place in the future or something." Well, yeah, you would. Think yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, definitely after some sort of a, apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't have to watch the road end to understand Mad Max. You don't have to understand what yeah. was going on to understand Land of the Dead. You know, or Day of the Dead, or Dawn of the Dead, and that's why those movies are so perfect. You don't have to watch Night. You don't don't ever no, watch that. It's stand, a waste of your time. Stop it. Night's amazing. <laughs> they all stand alone on their their own. But yes. So um, um, I, I'm good on this one. Would recommend it highly. Do I rate this one? If you want. Three and a half. Okay, that's yeah, fair. That's fair. Next. Oh no, we're done. Yeah, we're done. No more. I'm off. I'm bye. All right, we're here for Blind Spot, and we're gonna do Master of the World, which is <laughs> your pick. Why yes. are you doing that? Stop. <laughs> Master of the World, uh, this is your pick. The director, I think, was more of like a... Uh, he didn't do too many horror sci-fi movies, from my understanding. I don't know. He, he, this is like the only movie I was looking at that I would be super familiar with. I think he did, uh, what, the Bonnie Parker story, which is obviously, you know, about Bonnie Parker, Bonnie of Bonnie and Clyde. But okay, so um, this movie stars Vincent Price and Charles Bronson, which is their... They reunited after um, House of Wax from 54. This one, or is it 53? This one is 61. Yes. This is AIP Studio Pictures, of course. This is based on Jules Verne's movies. Uh, a book, two books, uh, Master of the World and what, Rober the Conqueror, they said? Yeah, I think Rober the Conqueror. And I'm not too familiar with his stories. I know that he's a big name in science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Matheson actually uh, adapted the script, which is awesome. Uh, you know, he did stuff like I Am Legend, which was a couple weeks back. Right. Um, the actual novella and then adapted the script and worked on tons and tons of stuff for Dan Curtis, etc., etc. So, okay, I put this in. I didn't really know what to expect. It opens up with a pretty funny, like, uh, 50s or, like, even older, like, old uh, footage of, like, yeah, people trying to build like planes. Yeah, 1910s, like, all the <laughs> Wright different shit. plane experiments, you never, like, putting dynamite in people for like jetpacks and <laughs> just different various flying machines that just like instantly fall apart the moment they turn on from the sheer like inertia of everything do you think in the beginning of robocop uh two when they make all the, like they try to recreate a robocop and they're all just falling apart and people are dying and i'm like ah do you think that that's a take on the, the all the terrible plane mechanisms i didn't, okay, they built? I didn't know that there was a second robocop <laughs> <laughs> no literally i don't know why that part makes me laugh but they're literally trying to another Robocop where they all just fail and all these guys are like melting in the Or they're just like crushing them? Yeah, they're just like falling apart or oh. just like blowing their brains out and stuff. It's like when they remake Chucky. What? No, Chucky was different. No, they Somewhat. put all the blood in the robots. Nah, oh, I thought you were talking about the remake of Child's Play. I'm not, we're not talking about Child's Play. We're talking about Master of the World here. Okay, uh, this one opens up with, I think there's like this big volcano in this city. There's these two old guys like, this is the most boring city ever. Right. And then like this big map painting, which is the most obvious map painting I've ever seen, I think. Still cool mm-hmm. though, um, of this volcano is about to erupt. And of course, they figure out something's going wrong. Um it's not a volcano, it's a mountain. A mountain, but it has like a crater in it and it looks yeah. like it's going to erupt. It smokes coming out of it. So, a yes. government official and Charles Bronson, <laughs> who's like a scientific government official, which is very weird to see Charles Bronson like, I know all things science. It's He's like, no, you Department don't. of the State, I don't know what it's Department, <laughs> I'm department of Scientific Interior. Things. Interior Scientific <laughs> <Or> Geology, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you're telling me you know about geology? You're going to tell me different? <laughs> He's like, 
I can tell you about Jesus. <laughs> it's like, the only rock I know is this fist. It's going to be right through your head. But uh, anyways, uh, so Charles Bronson shows up, and Henry Hole is playing this, uh, basically, uh, guns dealer. He sells weapons, modern weapons, and everything mm-hmm. like that. So uh, they want to go to explore the, uh, the crater uh, along with um, Henry Hole's daughter and her fiancé, Charles Bronson. And uh, so, they, so they go there in this blimp. No, they go in a, a hot, hot air, air balloon. balloon. Sorry, it's not a blimp. They go in a hot <laughs> air balloon. It gets shot down by these missiles, these little stop motion, not stop motion, like miniature missiles. Right. They crash, and they are abducted in this giant... Um, blimp. Blimp flying machine <laughs> called the Albatross, which is ran by uh, Vincent Price and a bunch of uh, people from all over the world in really stupid French hats. Yes. And, and, uh, bo- and sailor shirts. Yes. And so, the Albatross does not come with wafers, just no. it being a bloody seabird. Okay, yes. Is that a uh, Monty Python joke yeah. or something? It sounded like one because I didn't get it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> anyways, they soon find out that uh, Vincent Price is anti-war, but he's willing mm-hmm. to kill anyone to stop it. Right. So, uh, yeah, um, Vincent Price is pretty fun in it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed him. Um, I know he's a little over the top, but that's what you like in Vincent Price. Everybody does. Bronson is, uh, you know, the he's Bronson. He's so Bronson. love Bronson always. Um, I, they're, they're, they're playing themselves. They, they're themselves. You like them, you'll enjoy them. Right. I always do. Henry Hall is... Trying to like steal the spotlight from Vincent Price the whole movie. Yeah, he like imagine overhanding it. It's like, what do you do? Like, it's not bad, but it's also like, I don't know if I've seen him in any other movies because I feel like I would have remembered him. But this guy is, he's so <laughs> yeah, it's everything. Like, I I don't know. If we're eating dinner, he's like, ah, don't scream so loud. I peak the audio. I again. know. It screws it up when I go to edit it. <laughs> No, but uh, he's just everything. But then there's the um, fiance who is a, a such a fucking lame character. She's like, not a character. She's... No, not her. Oh, the other yeah, the, yeah the the guy. He's the fiance just could be either or. Yeah, he's just the daughter's fine. The daughter's the love interest. She's decent. She's actually much better than some of the characters for sure. But the mm-hmm. fiance guy is just a complete and utter douchebag. Right. He's um, actually a better character than the girl fiance. She doesn't get much. Um, screen time you know she she's, gives she's dan- soup at one point and yells at him <laughs> and that's like her her whole arc is like would you like some soup eat your own soup <laughs> Stop the end. no but uh yeah the, it's it's a fun movie yeah uh there's some explosions and everything like that the miniatures are really cool the set's cool um the outfits are cool right i i like that much and um the ending's awesome i don't yeah. want to spoil the ending too much because i doubt that many yeah people let's have not seen talk about the end let's the ending's really the great end. and actually um it's it's kind of cool what happens with it. I don't, you know. Yeah, um, Bronson and Price have like amazing chemistry together. Um, they have quite a few scenes where they interact, and you know, like we said, it, it's cool to see them after watching yeah. House of Wax, House where Bronson Wax. was fifty three, fifty four. He wasn't really a known con- uh, commodity then. Right. And then you know he did stuff like uh, the Magnificent Seven and some other movies. Um, yeah, this is even before The Great Escape or The Dirty Dozen, of course. So he wasn't mm-hmm. huge, but Magnificent Seven put him on the map along with a bunch of other people. Uh, it's kind of amazing to think who's in that movie. And so, you know, he was kind of an up-and-comer, so they threw him in an AIP movie with um, Vincent Price, which is really cool to see them in the movie mm-hmm. together. So, um, like I said, this is enjoyable, especially if you like those kind of movie stars because they are pretty much themselves in most of the films, uh, besides, of course, The Witchfinder General for Price. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, Bronson would do some other things, too. Um they're just. I always think that they just have great screen presence, and I enjoy watching them. And mm-hmm. you sometimes wouldn't think that exactly they would be 
very compatible. No, you wouldn't, but like for some reason it works out amazing. Yeah. But in both of them, and I think this one in particular, because I think in uh, House of Wax, isn't he a mute Bronson? He's basically the or, Igor yeah, or like the hunchback a... type character that works for yeah. Vincent Price. Um, um, I will say that the airship in this, the Albatross, is awesome. fantastic looking, <laughs> and it's really cool. Um, looking at like this design, and you know, I don't know, like. You know, growing up playing a bunch of like JRPGs, and you're always flying around in like the blimp airship. You know, like like the high wind, the blackjack. It's like these designs are like totally lifted from this movie. And I would, I don't know if you would find it in any other place. Steampunk place for sure. Kind it's of. definitely like a steampunk fan's like wet dream. Can I say wet dream on YouTube? I don't think they care. But uh, yeah, um, it's it's really entertaining. And uh, I don't have that much to say about it. Some of the set design is very outdated and funny, of course, but it's steampunk. Oh, yeah. It's like the height meter, and it's just a the, thermometer. Just, right. Just, and it like, has a J for it. You talk about like how sturdy his ship is, and he goes to touch a lever slightly, and it just kind of like jiggles around. Yeah, like, you know, it's just... And the way they make it, he said he made it, is super crazy. It's like mashed down paper mache or some right. shit. Um, it's, it's really fun. A lot of stock footage. Like, this movie is like 80% stock footage. Like... There's like a war going on, and, and like it cuts to like black and white footage from like like Bible times. Um, but so yeah. we have John Stanley's <laughs> creature features here, and um, I read this a little bit before. I don't think you're going to be very happy. Master of the World 1961, two out of five. A mingling of Jules Verne's Master of the World and Robert the Conqueror results in an uneven fantasy adventure. What is good is the albatross, a marvelous Victorian craft kept aloof. By whirling blades and electric current. Also good, the decorative st uh, sta state rooms and the 19th century costumes. What isn't so good is Richard Masonson's adaptation. Robar is portrayed as just another mad genius who hates war but inflicts it on others. Also not so good is the hammy acting of Vincent Price. Also not so good is the presence of Charles Bronson as the hero. A hero in this kind of movie, he is not. A mixed bag of air directed by William Whitney. Henry Hall, Mary Webster, Wally Campo. Warner Brothers, MGM, slash United Artist. I would say that Bronson's a pretty good hero in this movie. Uh, um, yeah. I I mean, it's not the gritty 70s. It's definitely the pulpy 60s and yeah. comic-y almost. And he's, he's an anti-hero. Like, yeah, he doesn't have, like... And they touch upon this in the, the whole like, honor he, versus non. Yeah, he doesn't have the whole honor thing that the the fiance does. But the fiance is also a moron, and he'll never get anything done. Right, and he also like double crosses him like fifteen freaking times. So he has no honor. Yeah, so you know, but Bronson's like at least he's open about his dishonorment. Yeah. Um. So take that, um, book review guy. And also, Vincent Price was not handy in this. Vincent Price actually played, I think, kind of straight, like. He's kind of hammy, but I don't understand how he didn't mention Henry Hole if he's talking about right. hammy. You know what I mean? Uh, like, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like saying there's like, I'm not even going to come up with an analogy because it probably makes no well, sense. Well, I mean, I, I just like, you know, you look at this when you look at um, Last Man on Earth and it's like, he's far more hammy, hammier. I don't know. The only time he was more hammy was when he was throwing the bombs yeah. like, eh. <laughs> you know there's none of that you know I, I think that vincent price i think played a pretty straight um pretty I, I mean i i don't know if he's straight but anyways it's it's decent enough right i also don't know the source material so like what me do either I so i yeah. can't it, and it's a mixture of two source materials yeah. which can never probably work out too well some like like because i know that the one vincent price haunted palace was a mixture of the case of charles dexter ward and um Dunwich Whore by Lovecraft, and then it had a Poe uh, quote at the end, so you're like, 
what in the hell's going on here? Uh, so back in the day, I don't think they followed the source material all that close um, mm-hmm. in the 60s. But hey, what what do you want? Uh, I think it's an entertaining movie. I think people yeah. will get a kick out of it, especially if you like Price or, or Bronson, then you'll enjoy it. And right. I enjoyed it myself. Come at 7.5 on it. Like a two out of five. Two and a half. Are you serious? Yeah. Maybe a three. <laughs> I'll go three. We'll do three on What's it. What's wrong with you? Um, I wanted something else. And what I thought... That doesn't matter what you wanted. Yes. It isn't that. It does. I go into every one of these with like preconceived notions and ideas. I That's already have my mind made fault. up. That's not the movie's fault. It is a... It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's like, I, 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 gra- I wanted a Pepsi, but I grabbed a Coke. And this tastes not like Pepsi. Who's they fucking fault is that? should have made a better pop. Well, no. You should have fucking checked the label. <laughs> you should have done your research. Okay. I, w- I wanted to see this movie for years. Just because it was like, well, it's Vincent Price. And it involves a giant airship. Like, what's not to like? And I we put it on. I'm like, man, I don't know if I really like You this. thought this is going to be Vincent Price at war with, like, somebody else in an airship. Yeah, if I was going to be, like, He's like, like fire, the, fire yeah. the missiles. No, it was just Vincent Price soliloquizing and... That's that's saying, what he does. He watch it. He watch it. There's the the review right there. Hey guys. He watch it. Wait. There. Stop. Stop. No. What What's the line where he's like, so you don't agree with my uh, my uh. He says you don't agree with my um thinking. It's not the thinking. It's the uh. It's the way he carries it out. I can't remember. That's exactly what it is. Though he he understands his motives. He just doesn't agree with how he achieves them. It's the means. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's very much. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But hey. But it ends really good. You know exactly what it is. All right. So now you do. He didn't. But yeah, Master I did. of the World. Next week is Zodiac by David Fincher. It's my pick. Three and a, It's probably like three hours long. <laughs> that's why I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> All right. We're out. All right. Bye. Okay, guys. Let's get through these questions. Nick Moore, have you seen Christopher Nolan's Tenet yet? If so, did you enjoy it? Are you not a Nolan enthusiast? I have not seen it. Um, I don't think I really am a Nolan enthusiast. I saw uh, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. I haven't seen that many of his other movies, you know. I don't know. Um, I think that they're fine. Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. I don't love them. Um, I don't know. I need to check out some more of his movies. It's just uh, they haven't really drawn me in yet. So, How long did you believe in Santa? Or do you believe that Satan, Santa is Satan? Hey, first of all, Santa's real. And he's coming. But um, honestly, I don't know. I have no idea. A lot of people are like, I remember when oh, they have all these like d- deep memories of it. It's just like it just kind of gradually happened where you're like, hey, he's probably not real, and then you're just like, nah, he's not real. Um, you just reviewed Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Do you think Mr. Cronenberg is a trip on the old block, uh, old blood and pus block, or does he have his own style and flair? I do think they're different, um, but obviously he's making movies in a different time. Uh, it's not as uh, raw, I guess I would say. I, I didn't see antiviral, but Possessor didn't seem like a lot of Cronenberg's early work, like Rabbit or Shivers. But there are similarities there. I, I would say that Cronenberg's movie leaned more into horror, and Possessor leaned more into science fiction, if that makes any sense. But I mean, there are similarities. But uh, I, I don't think he's just ripping his father off or anything like that. Um, then we have answers. Basically, I ask you what your favorite year uh, release of the year was. Travis Wright, the Bruce Lee set from Criterion. Travis Linscombe, my favorite release of the year is the Lindsay Baker set from Severin. I've been wanting all those early jelly on Blu-ray for a long time. The set looks amazing, and it's got my three favorite film historians commenting on it: Sam Deegan, Cat Ellinger, and Stephen Thrower. I also love why they include they include the soundtrack on CD. I love those love those three. It's been an awesome year for releases though. Vinegar Syndrome and Severn are killing it. The Friday 13th set is no slouch either. 
Ken Coakley. I haven't gotten a mail in mail yet, but I believe that Fade to Black will be my favorite because I love this movie. I remember running this movie when I was in high school, and one day when I was at school in 1983, my mother watched the movie and read me out, thinking that I was going to do what Dennis Christopher did in the movie and somehow harm the students who bullied me. Apparently, she didn't know that I could tell fiction from reality. The only thing Eric Benford and I is that we're both film. The only thing that Eric Benford and I have in common is that we're both film buffs and we've both been called living film encyclopedias. I would have given it to Second Sight Dawn of the Dead box set, but I haven't gotten it yet because the rehab I am in doesn't have 4K TVs and my Blu-ray player is A, so there's no way I will be able to watch it. Nick Moore, first uh, of ha- off Happy Holidays, May 2021 bring you nothing but joy in the form of numerous awesome films on Blu-ray. Hands down, the cream of the crop and home video releases this year has to be Studio Canal's 5-disc box set of Flash Gordon in celebration of the film's 40th anniversary. Such an odd, zany, crazy movie, but I can't help but love it to bits. It has a list of features that just might be longer than your Christmas listen mr parka gordon uh gordon gordon's alive indeed there was a misspelling in that um james d cokes has to be dawn some other releases i thought were also great are mr vampire uh the scaled down arrow release of the phantasm set happy it was without the ball haha the blob release from scream factory was great cool we got nice extras on that um and then for some reason it cut his off because I forgot to press C more. I am sorry. I do that sometimes. I'm pretty sure I did, but I guess I didn't. Sorry about that, James D. Gokes. And uh, I'm sure he mentioned the Dawn of the Dead set as well. James, uh, Jason, and Michael Willard. For me, it's a tie. Dawn of the Dead 4K set, Columbia Pictures Classics 4K set. The Gamera set from Arrow was pretty sweet as well. Colin Stone, Al Adamson box set easily. A complete body of work is one in one such set from a totally left-of-field director who doesn't get enough props. Secondly, the William Griefy box set, another psychotronic director who should really get more love like Al Adamson. Don't get me wrong, the Dawn set is great, but at the end of the day, it's nothing new. It's just Dawn of the Dead. Randall Stost, um, Stater, uh, would it be Stater or Stater? The 4K of Zombie is fantastic as well as House by the Cemetery. Many great, but Realize Dawn is probably top dog release this year for me. David Luton, definitely Dawn of the Dead from Second Sight. Superb release and my biggest purchase on the single film, but worth every penny. Really love Eureka's Bella Lugosi triple set they put out too. Containing the Reverend, uh, the Raven, the Black Cat, and Murders in a Rogue Morgue. Uh, Marco Vitian, Spookies from Vinegar Syndrome. I know it came last year or year before that, but since Christian hates hates it, it will be my choice. Cody Lee Harden, uh, Pixoak, Pick uh, is that uh, it's like Peyote, but um, with an I X. Pixoti finally coming to Blu-ray from Criterion, even if it's only in the expensive ass Scorsese Presents box set, which I do not know that movie, so that's probably why I can't say it. Um, Cameron Scott, split second from MVD. Jerry Herring, Gamera. From Arrow Limited Edition, I mean, not only does it have all the films, but multiple cuts of them, including the Sandy Frank dubs, but it has a hardback book filled with essays and a hardback graphic novel. You can't beat all that. Uh, Bex Botin, I like to... I'd like to be superior and say something more obscure, but honestly, the Friday 13th set made me the most happy. Uh, Susie Aola, The Untold Story. A lot of good releases this year. What else do we got? Chris Leppert, Susie, that was tied for my favorite this year with the Jodorowsky box set. I sound like a record repeating it on itself. Ryan Matthew Ziegler, the Arrow Gamera box set, takes my number one spot for the year. I also really enjoyed Cannibal Apocalypse. That was a blind buy, and I'm glad I picked it up. One of my favorites. Adrian Roberts, Dawn of the Dead. 
Friday the 13th, um, Rakesh Brown, y'all got no love for August Underground? I don't know if he didn't read the comment because August Underground Blu-ray hadn't been released since 2016. The final interview this year was released, so I don't know what that was all about. Sam Edwards, Dawn of the Dead is my release of the year so far. Lee Jones, Al Adamson box set for sure. I'm probably biased because I worked on it, but it was an incredibly massive and ambitious undertaking. Chris Leppard, The Untold Story from Unearthed Films, Beastmaster and Rad from Vinegar Syndrome, the Alejandro Jodorowsky box set, Flash Gordon, Cronenberg's Crash, all from Arrow. Come and see from Criterion, there's been some incredible releases this year and there absolutely has this is probably one of the finest release years just like last year getting better and better every year for home video releases EC Misio His House and Anything for Jackson these are comments now are incredible films always thought it was weird that Netflix horror doesn't seem to release their films on physical media so we can own them Shudder does, which is good. Possessor was alright for me. The concept was pretty interesting, but you gotta admit, Agent Smith did it first. My opinion on why in The Invisible Man no one believed her was because it came off like she lived an isolated life with her husband. Their residence is far from the city, and she was already on bad terms with her family. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a powerful narcissist. he was a powerful narcissistic type that fooled others into thinking he was a loving person. Her sister did seem to warm up and possibly be the person to believe her, but I guess that didn't work out, haha. Also, when it came to explaining on natural circumstances most people fall back on believability which brings me to the conclusion that if the police did view the cameras also assuming how clear the video footage was to begin with and what angle it was placed in it would be easily easy to assume she did it verse uh, oh my husband who died and now is invisible stalking me and just knifed this bitch in public um 22 shots is awesome i never missed an episode happy to see that you're now a permanent fixture to the team thank you but um also at the same time they know that the husband chased after a car and broke off a side mirror and there's witnesses that back that up and also that he was an optics guy so he probably could have been involved in a visible suit and most likely that someone would have known about the technology besides that and the top that no one even looked at the house no one even checked into the there's just lots of like sloppy plot holes in it that just um the movie's too dark and serious for me to let pass um seth uh T915. Bad hair was set in the late 80s. Yep, I'm an idiot. I don't know why I said 70s and I don't know what I was thinking, but that is correct. Godzilla, I'm at the same as you with Possessor. I had a feeling I was going to love it and hearing about it, and sure enough, it's still my number one of the year. Fantastic movie. Freddie M, um, I guess I'll have to wait 48 years before you watch Autopsy of Jane Doe, and like I replied, if I'm still alive by then. Um, it's a movie that was spoiled for me, so um, I feel like that movie relies a lot on the twist, and if I know the twist, it's like, what the fuck's the point? Um, and then we have Toby Laroni, 007. I like the reckless 22 shot stuff. They are hapless idiots. It feels like the help a retard week whenever the 22 shots guest hosts speak. Your reviews are excellent. I appreciate giving me props, but it's so weird to me that, like, I don't want to take this the wrong way, uh, Toby, but, like, people do that all the time. Like, I'll be friends with somebody or I'll be in a movie with somebody. They'll come to me and be like, man, I like the movie, but did I have to see that person naked? And it's like, you're, like, I barely know you. And you're like talking about friends of mine, right? To me, like it's just like I know you feel like you might know me from the video, but it's just also weird. Like I don't want to be rude to you, but at the same time, you're just like being really rude to people I like. And like I know that like that show's like open, so like we get goofy and we say stupid things and we come off as idiots sometimes. But it's just like it's all in good fun. Like a lot of times we're just joking or playing into the joke and stuff. I I appreciate you liking the reviews and stuff on my end, but at the same time, it's just like, hey man, like those are my friends, so. And I had that happen with movies too, where people just come to me and like, I like that movie, but man, that person in that, or that, like, you're telling me directly to like one of my friends or somebody I work with. It's just like, I know that we're friends too, but it's just like, you have to volunteer that information that no one asked. But I understand. It's just weird to me. And I don't know why people feel like they have to do it. 
Um, so basically the question of the week is, um, you can, I mean, honesty is one thing, but, uh, it's just strange. I don't know. It's complex, complicated, I guess. A uh, question of the week. Um, we asked, uh, last week what your favorite release of the year was home video release. So let's get with, um, what's your, what company did the best this year? Who did the absolute best? Is it Severn, Vinegar Syndrome, Second Sight, uh, On Earth, uh, Arrow? Who who did the best for you? Shout Factor, Screen Factory? Let me know. Criterion, uh, which company had the best output of releases this year? So, yeah, I guess we're going to get into the update. And I'm almost half tempted to do this update right here without changing angles because it is super small. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'll just jump into the update because I also have to do the drawing for Patreon. So, yep, I hop into the update. Okay, this update is going to be super quick. First, we got the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Got a great price on it. It was Target buy two, get one. So I really love this movie. Cost me like 11 bucks. So I really recommend this one. Love it. And then we got another one. Uh, it was Target buy two, get one. Beach House. Thought this one was decent. I bought it before I watched it. Saw it on there. I was like, eh, it's all right. So uh, yeah, I checked that one out too. But it's not great. I didn't love it. But I thought it was pretty pretty interesting enough. you know. So anyways, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, we'll do the uh, Patreon drawing. Got to draw four names out for the month of January. Who's going to be number one? We have Ricky Riley with uh, Marco Bellacino's Fist in the Pocket, which I am not familiar with. But I feel like he always is going to give me something that's going to be smart. Then what else do we got? Jonathan Wilhelm with Grave Robbers. That's the Vinegar Syndrome release, so awesome. Definitely love going to watch that. Have that one sitting here. Then we have Ricky Riley with Small Soldiers. He got two. He's got a Joe Dante in there. And then number four is going to be... be crazy if I got three of the same person. Um, we got Chris Rivers. He wants me to recent pickup. I haven't got to, which is awesome too. I love when people do that. So yeah, those are the four picks for January. All seem pretty interesting or good. So yeah, we're going to hop back to the video. Okay guys, before we go, I want to do a Patreon shout out to, uh, how do you say your name? Kuno, uh, Mogensen? Is that how you say it? Thanks again for your support. But, uh, thank you guys very much for watching and as always have a good one.